Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. And welcome in to the Housing Hour. How are you all doing? This is Mark Griffith. I'm filling in for Kevin Ray, who can't be here today. But I got my buddy on the co-host chair, Richard Swan's back. Always a pleasure to be here riding shotgun, so to speak, for you. I need a shotgun runner. It fits into our story. It really does fit into our story (laughs) really quite well. Um, But before we get to inviting our guest, um, we're going to talk a little bit about how you can plug in with the Housing Hour. That's thehousinghour.com. That's our treasure trove of information. You can find out everything about our show, Kevin and I, and anything you want to know in past shows. Plus, check us out on social media. That's where we really do a pretty good job of reaching out there and showing and sharing our show at Facebook uh, slash The Housing Hour, Twitter at The Housing Hour. And that's just The Housing Hour. So it can't be simpler than that. Um, So with that being said, we're going to bring in here our special guest who's been on the show last April in 2019. He was on the show with his first book that he wrote, which was... I thoroughly enjoyed that, and we encouraged him to write a second book, and we got on you pretty good about doing that, so much so that Richard got a shout-out at the end of the book. Did you know that? Yes. You did? I, did, I didn't know you could get credit for nagging somebody, but that that's a nice thing to know now. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, so it's like, hey, when's the next book coming out? I'm ready to read it. So nagging is a good thing. But uh, J. Kyle Johnson is joining us. He's a local person here from Oak Ridge and, and lives locally in Teleco area. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle, welcome. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate being asked back after the first one. Uh, you know, you never know. You never know. Yeah, and Richard uh, was a great help. He's a great nagger. Yeah, <laughs> see? And so... Uh, it's good to have skills. <laughs> it's a skill set that we all need from time to time. But, uh, no, these are these are fun books. Uh, you've written something. Now, you're local. We'll go into your background here later. But sure. tell us about... Because uh, last time you were here, let me just tell you the books that he's written. There's um, Fire Damp, A Killing at Kettle Island. Hunter's Moon is his newest book. <laughs> the Drownings at... Perkin Hollow. That's Pickering. 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 Pickering Mm -hmm. Hollow. Yeah, and you would think there's a G on the end of it, and so did I all my life until I looked it up, and it's actually Pickering. Pickering. And I'm not even sure why. Well, I looked it up. Yeah. I mean, so uh, when I saw Pikeville, Bell County, Mm -hmm. there is a Pickering Hollow. um, yeah. Oh, is it a picker and holler? I should say holler since I wrote the book. So. Holler. Yeah. And, that's, holler. and right up the road from that is Kettle Island. Kettle Island is right in there. Right. So that's where both of these books are. That's made. the setting. Right. And that's where they came from. And I used to visit there. Uh, all of my kinfolk come from that area, uh, all, mostly coal miners and that in, in the coal mining business. So uh, that was the area I went back to visit and, and uh, traipsed through when I was a kid and Hung out with my grandfather and my uncles and and, and uh, cousins and that sort of thing. So that's that's why the setting. I was pretty familiar. And it's pretty interesting because you had said your your first book would kind of be classified as historical fiction, mm-hmm. in that you took an historical event um, and then built a story. Well, what if this has happened? I think you said the last time you were here. That's right. And I, that book. I could not put down uh, either one of them. That I just was, 
I love your writing style. I love your development of characters and just some of the things that that you put in the book that you just don't even think about or I wouldn't think about, but it's just fascinating to me your your what you have created and what you've come up with. Well, I appreciate you saying so. I started out to write a story just about the uh, uh, the mine explosion that, that killed my grandfather and and uh, fourteen others, and uh, which was a real event. It actually happened. Uh, the reason it stuck with me is uh, he was killed on March twenty nine, and March twenty nine is my birthday, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. When I was a kid, especially, just kind of stuck in my in my head, you know, about that. Of course, that was nineteen thirty when he died, and I wasn't born until you know much much later. But that stuck with me. And then in college, uh, I took a, a fiction writing class, and we were asked to write a story. And guess what? I wrote about the methane gas explosion and the so forth. But that was only about ten pages, and then. Uh, I put that in a drawer and saved it for 40 years while I went to work. And when I retired, I took it back out and thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll juice it up and make it a little more interesting. Well, I still only had 15 or 20 pages because I didn't know that much about about coal mining or coal mine fires and that sort of thing. Uh, so then I thought, what do I do now? And that's, uh, Richard, you hit it on the on the head, the nail on the head. I had to figure out, well, what would they do now after a methane gas fire? So, uh, you know, but after all that time, uh, when you were in college and you wrote those t- 10 pages, right. I, I just can't imagine going back in time and seeing pages that I wrote back in college. Number one, I probably couldn't read them. Well, that was a problem, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty sophomoric and, and uh, it made me humble because I realized how poor my writing was at that time, even though my teacher uh, encouraged me. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and it was it was great that he did because he made me believe at least I maybe could write you know if i kept at it um and i wrote for the newspaper uh cookville herald citizen a couple of years and of course i was teaching english as well at the college uh but that's a little different because i was teaching more in line with uh, uh, essays and that sort of thing Uh, so i kept up i kept my hand in in your professional career Mm -hmm. you were a technical writer well technical writer technical editor i did more editing than writing i worked at oak ridge national lab uh, for uh, about 24 years. I also worked at uh, a little place called Tenecomp Systems that nobody will remember. We worked for TVA, and I wrote the systems manuals uh, for the uh, for a couple of the plants. Uh, luckily, they never used them because they, they didn't open the plants. These were nuclear plants and power plants. They never used uh, what I did because they had to revamp everything by the time they got through the all of the uh, requirements and and uh, got them passed through, you know, uh, legislative and all that. Um, so I always say, you know, it's a good thing because uh, things may have blown up. I don't know. I wrote those manuals, <laughs> and it made me a little nervous. Well, you, but your those skill set, that skill set that, skill you, set, that right. you learned, I mean, you must have taken that to right. the extreme when you started. Uh, I Because mean, I don't have those. So I love to write, but I, I don't have those editing skill set. Right. Uh, Grammarly is my editor. <laughs> right. Well, I use it too. Don't 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 put it down. It works great. Yeah. Yeah. But what did you learn? Uh, what, what do you think you, you know, helped you the most when writing from those technical skills that you had? Right. Um, it, it's it's hard to put the two together, and I have given it some thought. Uh, I don't have you know a very uh, good answer. It's just that the writing is as much a physical process as it is a mental one. And what I learned is when you feel like uh, you're stuck, don't stop. Just keep going, even if you have to switch to another piece of work. 
right. just to freshen your mind around it. But uh, what they call writer's block, uh, I would not be, uh, I would not presume at my early stage of being a writer to say there's not such a thing because uh, I would be uh, remiss to say that. But on the other hand, what I do when I do get stuck, like I'm writing Hunter's Moon and I just can't quite get where I want to go, I'll just put it aside and pick up something else I was working on, maybe one of the little uh, Susie stories about my wife when she was growing up, and I'll write on that a while. And it may not come out very well, but uh, it's that I keep the physical act of writing going. I keep the keyboard clicking, right. uh, and then eventually it'll clear up. And, um, well, you know, so let's, let's mention this. jkylejohnson.net is where you can find other stories that you've written. Right. Tell us a little bit about your website there. Right. Uh, well, I have a, a variety of stories, some for adults. Uh, I shouldn't say adults. That leads you into a whole other network. Right. Uh, <laughs> some for grown-ups, <laughs> let's call it, and uh, stories for kids. And the stories for kids, uh, almost all of them are based on my wife's experiences growing up in Knoxville. Things like uh, taking piano lessons uh, at uh, at the same uh, house and same laid teacher that her mother had, and it was a scary place because it was a Victorian house downtown Knoxville, and she had to go in there. It was kind of dark, and the teacher was a little bit old and grumpy. And uh, but it tells how she learned the teacher really liked her and had her interest in mind. Right. Uh, so that kind of story, um, I wrote about 12 of those, uh, really started with my granddaughter. Uh, my granddaughter, when she was 10, 11, uh, she was staying at our house, and we always read her books at night, you know, to help her go to sleep and just for fun, and she enjoyed it. But then one night, she suddenly said, no, tell me a real story. We didn't know what she meant until, until my wife came in the room. She said, tell me about you something you did. And so I told her the story about the bear who stole the picnic uh, in the Smokies from her family when they went on a picnic, uh, and it was full of uh, fried chicken. And her mother, instead of uh, saying, uh, grab the child, said, grab the fried chicken. <laughs> Is this a true story? And it's a true story. And, of course, I embellish you know, everything, and I embellish the heck out of that as well as the other stories. But they're all there, and they're kind of fun to read, and they're not too long um, to get through. So, Which ones do you enjoy enjoy most children's stories adult stories what's your favorite yeah i have to say at the moment and this could change but at the moment i'm enjoying uh writing about uh my history fictional history in kentucky because it involves all of my relatives Mm -hmm. people that i knew very well but really lost touch with over the many years yeah, so uh, and when we come back on the second side of this break, uh, we're going to continue talking with J. Kyle Johnson, author and friend of the Housing Hour. We'll be back right after these messages. Blood and skin and bones, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And we're back into the Housing Hour. This is Mark Griffith filling in for Kevin Ray, but I've got Richard Swan with me on the co-host, and uh, we're having a good time talking to Jay Kyle Johnson, author, and like I said, at going out, friend. He's a good guy. So if you go to his website, jkylejohnson.net, you can order his book, both of them. Um, I would suggest it highly because it's a good read. And um, we, you were talking about when you were um, writing book, you, you mentioned two things. You said it was a, 
it's a physical process. Right. It's a mental process. Right. I would and having written some, but not nearly as prolific as you are. But I was wondering, isn't it emotional too? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It's. Um, it, it can be cathartic for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has uh, skeletons and uh, you know old old uh, memories of maybe things they wish had gone a different way or they'd behaved in a different way. I can fix that in the book. Yes. <laughs> and I can pretend it went the way I wanted it to uh, instead of the, you know, instead of it going sideways uh, as it may have. And I can also, uh, I won't say pretend, but I can also write in how I really felt about some characters, people I actually knew. Um, well, Sam is is uh, not based on my uncle, but he's very similar to my uncle in many ways. And I didn't know my uncle well enough. His name was actually Sam. And uh, I used a lot of his qualities and characteristics. So it made me feel good to tell Sam in my own way through my book that what I thought of him, which was very highly. Right. Um, and that that's one of the things I like about writing. I can take a character and I can follow through and uh, and sort of tell them things I never would have told them for real, you know, in, you in ever, real life. Have you ever resolved any issues in your mind? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I've let I've let go of some things. As oh, that's I, good. Yeah, that's as resolved. A, that's resolved. I let go of some things. I, I don't try to fix things in real life too much. Um, you know, the, the saying I go by is uh, never explain and never complain. Uh, I do both, but that's the, that's <laughs> right. that's what I try to do. Uh, in truth, I, I, I do both. But uh, it allows me in my writing to resolve it simply by uh, by finishing that that issue and going moving on. And in both of those books, Richard, you prepared an outline for us, and you wrote some of the the characters down. And and uh, the first one, as Kyle mentioned, was Sam. He's the main character in both of those books. Right. Kind of give us the overview of who Sam is yeah. in your novels. Sam turns out to be my hero in a way. You know, he's he's the protagonist and uh, main character. And I picked him more because I needed somebody I could follow through uh, the books. I don't want to give away. Right. anything yet but uh i am going to write a third book uh you know if the creek don't rise which it's doing right now uh, <laughs> Lord let, let it reflect for the record that the, the crowd cheers and applauds <laughs> lord lord willing and creek don't rise i'll write a third one which ties up all the loose ends in the first two uh, so i had to have a protagonist that i could follow through all three books that was planned from the beginning um, and by the way I, I wrote them in segments instead of writing one you know, thick tome. Uh, I did that because I'm getting old, and I wasn't sure I could make it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, well, at least I'll get one or two under my belt, and we'll see if uh, if I make it to the third. So hopefully, I'll get I'll get there. Uh, so He's I had look to, in reasonably good shape. So yeah, I might, I might really. make it. Yeah, Richard says there's hope, maybe, but <laughs> but he's not sure. Well, we were talking earlier about your process and the first book, and I don't think I'm giving anything away, but it has an explosion in a mine, and that actually happened. Right. That's you know your grandfather died. Right years before but on the day that you were actually born that's the same day that your grandfather had died in a mining explosion and so that i'm sure in some to some extent was somewhat cathartic just to write about it and just to to put on there someone that you never knew but now 
he lives through that story. And you hit the nail on the head. And, and by the way, uh, thank you for the reviews you wrote when, after you uh, read the books, because they're better than I could have written. Uh, they're more to the point. You know, I tend to meander around everything I know about it. Uh, and so you did a really good job of encapsulating uh, exactly what these books are about, and I, I really appreciate that. I, I learned from them. If it helps you write that third back book yeah. quicker, then um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. But uh, you're exactly right. Uh, and I wanted to pay tribute to uh, my grandfather, and we lost uh, probably another uh, 10 or 11 relatives in that same e- explosion. I just didn't know them as well. You know, my grandfather and others knew them that well and, and were really broken up by it and really never forgot it. Uh, and, and, of course, they weren't the only uh, explosion or, or mine accident in the area by any means uh, in eastern Kentucky or West Virginia or any of those places. So there's, there's you know, tens of dozens of those that people all over the area will remember because their relatives are in it. That's right. And uh, you can't help but have relatives in a place like that because it's pretty clannish. I mean, you you know, you're almost always related. If you try hard enough, you'll find out you're related to somebody you know in that area. Um, so we have, you know, first, second, third, and fifth cousins, <laughs> and we all, exactly. we all get to know that. Um, now I forgot where I was hit. Oh, because of the story, I wanted to pay tribute to those who died in the mine fire and to the way they lived. And I, 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 I hate to use the word nobility, but, you know, they were pretty noble folks. I mean, they went into a dark mine and a deep mine. They worked all day. They, they uh, didn't <laughs> – I mean, they barely saw daylight. Uh, except on Sunday, right? Right. That was about the only day they had off. And in fact, my grandfather was working on Saturday because they would ask who wants to work to make extra money, you know, for their family. Uh, in Scrip, we talked about Scrip a little bit. Maybe we'll get around to that again. They didn't pay you in real money. They paid you in company Scrip. Yeah. So company uh, controlled stores. Company huh? controlled stores and money and everything. Uh, but in any case, uh, I wanted to pay pay tribute to people who worked really hard. And sometimes died young. Uh, and uh, left families behind and that sort of thing. But it was such an important industry. And, you yeah. know, you'd have to go back 200 years to the whaling industry to kind of make a similar – can you think of anything in between there? I mean, the, the yeah. whalers that yeah. brought the oil for the lamps, the coal people. Well, the textiles in New England may be a, a close second, but that's a really textile, good analogy. But textiles in New England were because the coal guys were we're, the coal. were pumping the coal out, yeah. So, yeah, the whaling industry is a really good analogy. I'm glad you brought that up. I'll, I'll have to give that some more thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, but uh, well, tell me about your your other character. What what right. other character really jumps out at you that you enjoy the most writing or oh, okay. connect? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's probably two really, uh, and I'm not sure they're everybody's favorite. But uh, Jonetta is one of my favorites. Um, it was it was. I'll admit it was difficult for me to write as her a, a couple of times in the first book. I, a whole chapter is named Jonetta, and it's her talking. And we're getting her point of view about what's going on around her after we've already been told by Sam and his brother what they thought was going around. And it's quite a different story. She was fighting for her own survival within a man's world. And that's what I liked about her. She was pretty spunky. Mm -hmm. And she didn't take much guff off anybody. And I had modeled her actually after one of my aunts. I probably won't mention it because I got in trouble. <laughs> you always will. I always will. And I, I named the character after my actual aunt, who passed away long ago, I'm sorry to say, uh, who I really thought was a, a great lady. 
and I made the mistake of letting my mother and my aunt, both of whom are still alive, by the way, still living uh, and doing well, they read a draft of it, and I, I thought, well, at least I should show, you know, let them get an idea who's in this book. And they came back and said, no, 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 you can't, you can't use her name, your aunt's name, because she was not like that. She didn't smoke and drink and cuss and carry on and wear flimsy clothing and you know all that sort of thing. Um, so you've, you've got to change that. So I went to Jolene, and my wife said, no, you can't use Jolene. That's taken. Dolly, Dolly owns that word, <laughs> that name. <laughs> See, Dolly Parton owns oh, yeah, that. definitely. Yeah, so you can't use Jolene. So I finally ended up with Jonetta, which I researched quite a bit to find you know, actual people named Jonetta. I have no idea who I wrote about, but uh, it's the same character that was actually my aunt. So I oh. really liked her a lot. That's, well, it, it, tell us about it, it, one of the things, and we were coming up to a break in a couple minutes. Sure. But a lot of the names you have me something uh-huh. like uh-huh. me kirk or me right. sam me jack me sam right tell us a little bit about that well that's a real story i think i can do it in two uh that's a real story what happened i was probably 11 or 12 years old my father uh meets this fellow on a bridge who has one leg and a, and a crutch and carrying a 22 rifle and the fellow just beams at my father my father's name was jack which you see in the book there's a guy that ends up being jack in there and uh, he just beams at him and says, "Me Jack, me Jack." And he said, and then he also knew who I was. He said, "And you, and me Kyle," you know. And uh, I thought, "Well, this guy's nuts. He's 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 you know he's had too much moonshine." And uh, he turns out to be me Kurt. My father is me Jack. What this means is, you are mine. Yeah, you belong to me. You're a part of my clan, my family. Uh, you know, you're one of my guys. And so that's the closest you can be as a friend to is call this somebody. Is strictly Bell County? Or is well, you know, I wish I knew. <laughs> I've done some etymological studies of this, and the best I can come up with uh, is, is in other languages, me means mine. Right. And so, but I've never heard I think it. That's where it came from. With a name, I've ne- I never heard it before that or since. And I'm a, I'm from uh, Upper Irwin, Tennessee. You should, upper yeah. Appalachian. You, you would think. think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is uh, that's interesting. That's yeah. what makes historical fi- fiction so fascinating right. to me because you bring in some of those elements that somebody might not. And then you can get on Google and Google it. Yeah, but I couldn't make that one up. Uh, it never would have occurred to me if I hadn't known a real me. That's meeker. why I had to ask because yeah. it's like, wh- how? Where would yeah. this? Have where come did from? that come from? No. I, I know. And uh, when we get back on the other side of this break, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Kurt, um, yeah. you know, Kurt S. Uh, one of the, was yeah. he close to you? Uh, not to, not very close, okay. but he's close to my father. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we're with J. Kyle Johnson talking about his books and all this history. So we'll be back after these messages. This living that I'm making is doing a sin. It's broken the life. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And we're back into the Housing Hour. Thank you for joining us. Remember to check out thehousinghour.com and you can take this show and share it with family, friends, and anybody you want and spread out the word because J. Kyle Johnson is with us and his books are really entertaining. Enjoy it a lot. His website is jkylejohnson.net. And he's got a lot of uh, stories there that are, are fun, some kid stories, some grown-up stories, and a little bit about his history. We'll hope to get into the last uh, uh, segment, I think, um, talk about that. But let's continue on with the, some of the character development that, that you did in your books. We talked about Sam, the main character, and we talked about Meekirk, and you kind of explained to how 
how that me name came about, which is interesting to to us. Um, but what other? Let me ask Richard. Richard, you because you read the book is just like was there a, a character that jumped off the page that you thought that was just connected with you, or you thought was interesting or unique? I could see a lot of the characters. I mean, I, and this is the way you developed your your characters. I, I was putting them in my own family. I was putting them in people I tried that, that I too. know, and uh, you know the the person that plays his ma. You know, well, the minute he showed up with the kids from this family, yeah. she's got food ready right. for them, and um, you know we had a woman that in our family growing up that used to stay with us occasionally when my parents were out of town or or um they went out um she babysat us and she made the best food and the kitchen was always warm um and it was a great place to gather and and i have still to this day i gather you know with my friends and family in the kitchen i love to cook and so i do a lot of cooking and things but the way you develop characters that's what just left me wanting more from you know another book because i was like now wait a minute where does this character go from here and and you didn't explain what's going to happen next and what happens to them and so you really even created a lot more characters in in this book Mm -hmm. which i hope you will then develop you know further um as we go along um because I can see, you know, this becoming a series. I can see, you know, I can see you writing until you're 80 or 90, I hope. And so, um, but uh, it just, the way you develop characters was what was so fascinating for me and just the detail with which you write. And the one thing when you switch to, um, on you, you started Joanne, what did her name end up being? Jonetta. Jonetta. Yeah. In the, in the first book. <laughs> It took me a minute when I started that chapter to realize that your narration had changed Mm -hmm. and she was actually telling the story now. And I loved the way you did that because it took on a different perspective. Well, you know, I don't know what these two are doing, but here's how I feel. And so that really gave a lot of depth to the book. Yeah. to me yeah that was a stretch for me and it, it took me several uh iterations of that to finally feel like i i was letting her tell her own story so i appreciate hearing that that was a that was a reach and a, a, well, a chance i took and to to work off of that let's talk about the style uh, because you're a technical writer right a technical editor right yet you write in the dialect mm-hmm. of that area talk about mm-hmm. how you write this because this isn't just modern english <laughs> this no. is a little no. little different uh, this, this goes back to elizabethan english and if you if you study it that way or, or even 17th century uh, in some ways but that really wasn't what i was trying to do i was just trying to be authentic in the speech yes, and dialect. yeah in the dialect and and i hadn't lost enough of that or so much of that that i can't lapse into it if you go with me back up to Kentucky for a couple of weeks, by the time we come back, we'll be talking the way they talk. And I never really lost that completely, and and I didn't want to. Um, I had to learn to speak in a different way. I, I'll tell you one anecdote, and I hope I don't forget to come back to your point. But, um, you know, I worked for many years at Oak Ridge National Lab and even at the Y-12 weapons plant and other other places around the country. And, and over time, I had to uh, regularize my speech. 
In other words, I wanted to fit in among the scientists and engineers and the administrative folks that I worked with. And I didn't want to sound like I was from, you know, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, from, from the holler. <laughs> Uh, and I didn't by the time. I grew up in Oak Ridge, and, and it, it was, uh, you know, a modern place to grow up with many different kinds of people, and I learned to speak in, you know, in a more uh, regularized way. So it wasn't difficult for me to fit in. But the funny, here's the funny part. You know, I, I worried about that for many years, thinking, okay, I've, I've got to make sure my speech is correct and my grammar is correct and all that, and I got pretty good at it. And then uh, I was uh, working as the, the staffing manager for Ph.D. staff. I mean, you and I were talking about a friend of yours who's a researcher. So I'm, I'm hiring Ph.D. staff. And, of course, as anybody who works with uh, research staff knows, many of them were not born in the United States. Many of them came from other places, India and South America and, you know, name your, name your spot. And so uh, one day uh, early on in my career, I'm sitting down in front of a gentleman who's who's come in to interview for a position and he's he's not English is not his first language although he speaks very very well most of them went to school in this country they but they came from other places but they would have gone to school at University of Illinois or Michigan or or uh, any Caltech or any of the other places and I'm talking along and I said well I hope you I hope my uh, dialect or I said you know I hope my accent doesn't bother you and he stops a minute and he says what accent and it dawned on me that day everybody has one uh, I thought you were going to say he was from Bell County. He was Bell County. Well, I, I've got one. I've got. I've got a story about that too. But, uh, but it dawned on me that day that everybody's got some sort of dialect and some sort of speech that's a little different. And if you uh, come at this from a, a you know a totally different uh, area uh, outside the country uh, and you don't already have this idea about where somebody comes from by the way they talk. He didn't even know I had a dial, uh, you know, uh, that kind of speech. You, 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 that's interesting because I was wanting to say and make sure that everybody's clear yeah. uh, that it does not interfere with the reading of the book. Uh, so, so some people, when you pick up and you know, if you uh, read a, a an older book, maybe the way it's written and they use the dialect, old yeah. South dialect, it's hard to read. Sometimes, yeah. you know what? And, and yeah. I, I'll skip over some of that because it's just too challenging. Because I'm, I'm ready for the flow. This yeah. book flows. Your, your verbiage flows, even though it's in the dialect and the, the nomenclature of the day. Right. Right. So I mean that's well. You can thank my uh, my developmental editor for that. When I first started writing, I thought you know I really need to have somebody read this who's in the business and can say you've gone too far one way or the other, or you need to think about you know how it's structured. And uh, Dave Dave Malone, who's an excellent guy out of Missouri, he uh, wrote back on the first draft. He said, "Well, you know, it's a pretty good story with pretty good characters, but I can't read it." And I said, what do you mean? I had written it in actual dialect. Ah, see, there. Yeah. And uh, he said, it, flow. yeah, it doesn't flow. You're, you know, I, I have to study too hard. I have to work too hard to figure out some of these words. So you can thank him for that. Yeah. See, it, yeah. And that's important. So you pick up the, uh, right. you know, the style and the dialect, but you can still yeah. read it and yeah. understand. Yeah. He said, uh, he said, just season it with enough words so people know what ah, dialect see, it is. Yeah. That's, that's season. I, I yeah. like that. So, okay. So seasoning, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, because we've got some words pulled from the book and just from that Bell County. So let's throw these at you and you define these things because <laughs> some of them may not be known. Yeah. I think everybody, the first word, and when we come to the break on the other side of the break, we'll, we'll talk, we'll continue on with this because mm -hmm. this should be kind of fun. Um, the first word is hillbilly. Everybody knows what a hillbilly is. Perhaps yeah. you define it the way you think it is, Kyle. Well, that's the reason I, that's the reason I threw, throw these terms out because um, if you look in the, the other term I gave you was redneck. 
Yes. And so the real issue here is that people confuse hillbillies and rednecks. Uh, mm. Now, a hillbilly is not a redneck, but he might be. Yeah. He may do redneck things, but he's not a redneck. Uh, rednecks are actually come from. Well, listen, we won't get into the where they come from. Yeah, yeah, we, we won't talk about that. But uh, a redneck is desi- uh, defined as somebody who uh, really likes NASCAR, cheap beer, uh, shooting the breeze, and guns, and uh, that's where your good old boys are found. Okay. So that's that's not putting them down. It's just saying no, they're a different breed. That's me. <laughs> they're a different breed of guys. Uh, a hillbilly uh, is a more unsophisticated uh, than a city or a flatlander than a city uh, person, city folk. Uh, but mostly they live in Appalachia, and they have a different sort of culture. Uh, and it's mostly independent. Uh, mostly they don't want to be told what to do or how to do it or when to do it. Uh, by anybody, anytime, and uh, that's how they carry on their lives. Is this your definite? Is this how you're defining it? You personally? It's it's how I'm defining it, and I've done a little bit of research okay. to, to see how uh, journalists who traveled in that area in the early 1900s, in particular, oh, when yeah. they were fascinated by these people because they were you know throwbacks, you know, right? And uh, they were fascinated by them, and they they came up the with Bristol some of these recordings. The Bristol recordings. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm I'm sort of feeding off of their definitions of how, what they found. There's a lot of information. About that, yeah, um, yeah, uh, quite a bit. That's that's fascinating. Okay, yeah. we, we got probably thirty seconds left, but Bushhogger. Okay, Bushhogger. Uh, this one it came. Uh, this is a fairly common term, but it came up because I had a, a grandfather on my father's side that they call a um, great grandfather. They they called him Bushhog Johnson, and I had no idea what you know all my life what that meant. Well, Bushhog meant that's what he did for a living. I don't know his name to this day. <laughs> All right, when we get on the other side of this break, we'll maybe dive into that a little bit deeper. This is thehousinghour.com. We'll be right back after this message. Some people like to make a little fun of the way I talk. It gets slower at the three or four Kobe's. It gets louder when I'm tearing on the vibe. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And we're back into the housing hour. This is Mark Griffith. This is our last segment. So be sure to go grab this show and share it with family and friends on thehousinghour.com. Go click on it and buy Kyle's book. Both of them. They're fun books to read. We've been talking about it. And right now we got a, a segment about the terminology that he's used. It kind of sounds like a Bob Yarbrough segment <laughs> on, on the on the uh, definitions of some of these, let's go back to one of them, uh, redneck. Because um, you told us something off air that I think is fascinating, mm-hmm. did not know. Talk it to me about Well, uh, yeah, that's one of the things I said about uh, how people, you know, it becomes a misnomer. Uh, these days we think of a redneck as uh, somebody in the South who, you know, follows NASCAR and so forth and so on. We talked about. But uh, – when it first originated as a term, it wasn't about that at all. Uh, it is used that way now properly, I think. But uh, in the beginning, it was used because Union sympathizers in the coal mining camps would wear a red kerchief to symbolize their uh, that they were with the Union. Or solidarity. That is the, the, yeah, solidarity with the Unions. Uh, in fact, my grandfather rode a bus uh, from Pineville area, uh, Kettle Island area, over to Harlan, which is famous for the, the mining wars and and union wars uh to show solidarity and they would wear red kerchiefs to so to show they were with the union or 
supporting the union. And that's how it initially began, And according to my research. Now, I'm not expert in that, but that's the way the research runs. Is, it, is that how you kind of write? You start researching? Yeah. If you're you're, you're, you're yeah. kind of looking at this and putting it in a historical context, Well, right? you said you, uh, you like to read nonfiction, and Correct. so do I. And that's really how a lot of this starts, is I go back and try to research, well, what you know, was it going? Where does yeah. this, this term come from that I'm using here? And, and then I get really interested and distracted, and I'm not writing. Well, so. <laughs> that, that's right. But it, it's real important because but, yeah. if you're writing in a period, a certain period, right. if you're using a word. Exactly. Um, you know, like yeah. uh, I remember, um, I can't remember, I came across it when I was doing a historical uh, true piece. And um, they, it, Jake, J-A-K-E. Right. And I could not understand when it was in the newspaper when it was mentioning um they said things were jake right i didn't understand what that meant right i thought oh was that the sheriff's name but it was everything's okay okay right did you know that i mean you know so little things like that yeah, yeah. well little, little I, i've learned it the same way you did i i kept wondering what they were talking about until i went to look it up and finally figured out what you it have was to, you have yeah. to research it well it's like the term hillbilly itself is scottish uh and it, and i've got a note here to myself to remember it it, it means hill folk in Scottish, it's okay. not pronounced exactly that way, but a Billy in Scot in uh, Scotland was just a, a fella, uh, oh. you know, a guy. That's a, and so a that's where guy. they a hilly a guy who lives in the hills, a hillbilly, <laughs> yeah. an old goat, that old goat. That's even better. <laughs> that's that's even better. Okay, yeah. well, but red, redneck doesn't mean farmer or didn't mean farmer. It does kind of, now. We kind of think of that. Yeah, yeah but it, that's not that's really where it started. So that's the history of it, and yeah. it was in a coal mining and uh, it was, side of it. Yeah, that's, and that's that was in the 1910s through the 1930s. And uh, so we talked about bush hogger. Tell me again, the bush hogger, what that means. All right. Well, uh, bush hogger normally worked for the railroad, but may work for others. And uh, we go through and actually uh, cut down the bush and the trees. Okay. Like to, a bush to lay the, machine. Where they're going to lay the, the uh, okay. yeah the lines. Uh, and when they brought electricity into Appalachia, they were you know they were absolutely necessary to clear the way for yeah. the electrical lines and so forth and telephone lines and all that. They just. And that's what my grandfather did was. Uh, great grandfather did he was a bush hogger well i, I kind of thought that might be the the case because i yeah. know the bush hog machines they well they're still they're, around right they're still, they're still doing it and tva still, still hires them to Absolutely. clear the lines so <laughs> okay the, the next one is tipple right what's what i never heard that word before uh you hear it if you're anywhere near a coal mine or anywhere near uh, even uh, agricultural areas where they bring something uh in a in one batch uh however they bring it they used to bring the coal out of the mine in uh, small carts uh in the old days they, those carts were pulled by donkeys uh, sometimes mules but mules are a little too big to get way down in the mine but then later they had engines and motors and uh, they bring it out of the coal mine and then they bring it up to where they can dump it over into a chute and that's the tipple and the tipple shoots it down into the coal cars so when you see a coal car on on the railroad track what you're looking at is the result of of pouring that coal down the tipple did you use that word in the first book uh yeah i believe it did i think i think yeah. so now yeah, okay all did. right see that puts context into uh, some of the words right um okay so here's one that was from your your book i think drift mm -hmm. mouth drift mouth it's barely mentioned in the book and it has to do with the with the actual coal mine and the explosion and so forth and i just had to explain that there's a, a place in a, at the coal mine uh, horizontally dug out uh, so you can get into the mine and that's the drift mouth 
and uh, I don't understand a lot about it except that it really started in England. Uh, you know, Newcastle, bring coals to Newcastle. You've heard that saying. Yeah. Uh, so in the coal mines there, that's where they developed this. Anytime you dig down into the earth to make a mine, at the front of, the front of that where you start is the drift mouth. Why I'm not exactly sure. No, I, I can't. I can't think of the, why that would be. But that's interesting. I, I didn't know it had a name. I just thought the opening. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the flat spot. Yeah, right. Uh, commissary. There, there's a big drift mouth over in Crab Orchard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and that, okay. that's a different kind of mine, but it's the same yeah. deal. It's okay. a, you can look at it and see. Yeah. And uh, the next one is commissary. Yeah, Richard knows this one well, and, I'm, and almost everybody's heard the term at one point. But in a coal mining camp, you know, the commissary was the company store. And oh. it was never called anything else, as far as I know. So that was just a, the general five and time, dime type store. They had, or? they had food, and they had the clothing, everything. and they had uh, everything—you know, pickle barrels and, <laughs> and everything else you would you could possibly. I believe buy. the military uses that same terminology they, they for their store on base. They do. They it, call it a commissary. commissary. Okay. Exactly. And I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I'm pretty sure the the military use came first. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, the next one is is probably be important to spell it script yeah it's C- that's, that's company money there oh yeah. Yeah. script that script. Uh, so that's how you okay most S- of the time you spell it with a t and and that's not wrong it's just that's not the way they spelled it in the coal camps they spelled it s-c-r-i-p uh, script took me a long time and i had i had it down as script for you know a long time in the book before i realized that it wasn't script it's it's script why? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you answer those questions? You go, yeah. you go through this and you start reading. I do, and, say, and then yeah. you pull up the etymology dictionary. Exactly, trying to find the history of it. Yeah, it there's a website you. that's wonderful for that, and you can follow. You know, the development of, of each word. Uh, sometimes the, it's good, and sometimes it takes you to you know, uh, hist- archaic France, and you think, yeah, you what? lose it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you lose it among, among uh, ancient times, and you know, it's Latin, and that's where it came from. But I don't know about script. I don't know how that developed. Yeah. It's just that uh, I like to I like to throw these words out to people uh, just to sort of identify or put in place um, that there, there were a lot there was a lot of unique language and and terms used in the coal mining regions, not only for the work they were doing, not only for the coal mining, but you know just general everyday. Okay, so we want to talk to. I'm going to put in this word before so we don't run out of time right because it's in your book several times right coon on a log uh coon on a log coon on a log yeah now, that's yeah. not coon on a tata or you know the it, disney thing this is coon the, on a log that's right that's right and uh what this is that this is a real deal um and uh i i even hesitated to put it in because i thought uh, like a couple of other things i have in there like uh, like me kurt uh, losing his leg to a train uh, on on the train uh, track uh, I thought people are not going to believe any of this, you know, if I, even if I tell them. But I decided to do it anyway uh, because I actually saw a coon on a log happen. This is like cockfighting and dogfighting in the old days when they would put them in pits and so forth. But a coon on a log is different. They would take a raccoon that they had captured, trapped. They would put him out there and chain him to a log in the middle of a pond. A live. A live raccoon. Uh, and he's not happy. It, it put him on a log in the water? In, in the water. And okay. it's, so the, this huge log is floating in the water. This raccoon is chained to this log. And here's what you bet on. You send your dog out there, hopefully not your favorite best dog, because the, coon, the raccoon is going to be rough on him. Uh, and you send him out there to see which of the dogs can get the raccoon off that log. 
out of the chains. Out of the, well, they don't have to do anything. They'll probably kill him. They probably, you know, that's that's the hard part of this. It's it is a mean, nasty. Uh, it's like it's dog like fighting. It's or, like or, cock fighting. Okay, and yeah. people, somebody's going to get bloody, and uh, the, and it gets as mean as a raccoon is smart, and he'll wait. He'll yes. stand and wait for the dog. Just wait for him, and the dog gets close enough, he'll jump on top of his head and drown him, and he might take an eye out while he's doing it. So I, and you've I, witnessed and this. I've witnessed this. Yeah, this isn't made up in you know in my crazy mind of what could happen. I thought it was <laughs> in the, in the I was hollers. Yeah. To, I was worried yeah. about you yeah. when I was reading this. I, said, I need to call and check on him. Yeah, I need I need therapy. You know, just thinking about it now because uh, because I was standing there as a child, you know, probably probably eleven, twelve years old, somewhere in there, and I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I was taken there. I don't know if my grandfather was actually betting. We he he usually was not a betting drinking man, but. Uh, my, he took me to see this, and I haven't forgotten it. Wow! I just, I just now in order in order to straighten out for our listeners. Yes. The other term you were trying to come up with was Hakuna Matata. Oh, Hakuna! <laughs> I, I don't know what actually. I can't repeat what you said, but Hakuna Matata, Hakuna Matata was what you were trying to say. <laughs> I got I got pretty close. Yeah. I was shocked by the Kuna the log on the log. Anyway, well, thank you very much, Kyle, for coming in. Richard Swan, as always, and Eric Lasko, our producer. Uh, join us again next week on the Housing Hour. See ya. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.